This is the Revenue with Real Estate podcast, helping you understand the real risks and rewards of profitable real estate investing so that you can lead a life that you love. Are you ready to talk some real estate investing? What's up, everybody? This is Doug Myers, host of the Revenue with Real Estate podcast. And on this episode of the show, I am speaking with full-time pharmacist, father, husband, and Burr strategy expert, Kanal Mahindra. Born and raised in India, Kanal moved to Canada in 2009 as a student and went to Halifax to complete his master's in health informatics. He is currently working on a project to implement a provincial computer system which will have a massive impact on healthcare delivery in Alberta. In addition to his full-time pharmacist role, Kanal is the founder and CEO of Divergent Homes. He has transacted over $7 million in real estate, starting as a fix-and-flip investor in 2016, and now focusing on helping friends and family unlock the power of real estate by investing in legally suited properties in Edmonton. Kanal loves to give back and inspire others to invest in real estate. He's the host of the Edmonton Real Estate Mastermind, which offers a safe place for investors to bring their questions and their challenges. You can also find him hosting family-friendly open houses at his projects to facilitate networking within the real estate community. In our conversation, Kanal and I discuss a number of topics that I'm sure many of our listeners will relate to. The inspiration, or in Kanal's case, the desperation that got him started in real estate, the journey of becoming a seminar junkie, and how he realized that none of what he was learning was going to get him to reach his goals if he didn't take action. Growing and getting over the employee mindset, this was a big roadblock for Kanal, which he explains in great detail, and how he got through it by adopting an open mindset toward partnerships and sharing. As an introvert by nature, Kanal provides some tips on how to network as an introvert because talking to people who were in action was one of the big turning points in transitioning from education mode into action mode. We also dig into the real estate investing strategies that Kanal has specialized in, covering in depth the Burr strategy or the buy, renovate, refinance, and rent strategy and why he made the transition from house flipper to Burr strategy expert to build wealth through real estate. A passionate husband and a super dad to two lovely daughters, Inaya and Kiara, Kanal is committed to creating a life by design and aspires to be an enthusiastic life coach to his kids. He's a genuine, down-to-earth man with much to share, and it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. Please enjoy this conversation with award-winning real estate investor, Kanal Mahindra. Yeah, 100%, man. So what are you up to? Uh, what are you up to this week? I mean, you've been uh, you reached out to me. I feel like you're on this uh, investor relationship building journey of some kind. Is that would that be fair yes. to say? That would be completely fair to say. I, you know, uh, when COVID started, I was struggling to figure out okay, what the heck do I focus on when I can't go out and meet people? I can't see as many houses and things like that. So I put some thought to it. And I was like, okay, this is a great time to actually grow your network. And really, this is a time to pivot. This, is, this time is not coming back. So this is, uh, you know, probably in our lifetime, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really grow in a lot of ways. So I've been focusing on growing my network. Uh, and I have not done that ever in my real estate journey, which is connecting with people outside of my local market. So I have been hitting up to 15 calls a week with people I have never met, never talked to. And, uh, you know, outcome from these calls is just get to know each other, what's happening in different markets. And I mean, it's natural that out of these conversations, there's that chat about, okay, how can we collaborate? Because we like each other. I like what you're doing. I, you know, you like what I'm doing. Let's see, let's find a way to kind of work together on something. So that's been my focus since uh, COVID started. And I feel like I would kind of be a little sad when this ends when I have to (laughs) go back to my nine to five regularly, just because I feel like I'm able to do so many things uh, because I don't have to drive. I have so much time in my hands, like 
family time. Everything is just beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to ponder that and be aware of it. You know, before this was happening, I, you know, not not much has changed. You know, for for me, I was still working at home. I was still working on, you know, building the more of the systems and things that I needed to do for my real estate business, working on podcasts, working on other businesses that I wanted to start up and put energy towards. And so, you know, it wasn't that much of a shift, but everybody else kind of, you know, like you just said, there's kind of this change in pace. And I think it just, it actually allowed me to feel that much more happy and comfortable with what I was doing, just knowing like, okay, it's okay to be in your house now. It's, it's okay to kind of just, uh, nose to the grindstone and, and stay focused on something. So yeah, right, right. It's, it's very true. And I'm also finding like people are more receptive because everybody has more time on their hands than they did before. And I believe the action takers, the folks who are, so there's, you know, two types of people in this scenario, right? One is that, you know, um, they're playing the victim card and almost sad and almost like, you know, absorbing too much of the news and kind of, you know, getting, affecting their mental health in a lot of ways. And then there's the other kind who are just ready to go. They're like, okay, this is great. Like, I don't have to do a bunch of things that I was doing before. And I'll have all this time in my hands. What, how can I be more productive? How can I do more in my life? So I'm finding that when I connect with those folks, they're receptive. They're like, oh, yeah, let's do it, right? I mean, we all have more time than we did before, so let's make the best of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, can't say enough good things about, uh, you know, positives that, that have come out of this COVID time for me. Yeah, absolutely. And as I was doing a little bit of background research before we got on and did this podcast, which, you know, thank you for, for, first off, for taking the time to come on our show. We do appreciate it as they're continuing to grow this revenue with real estate podcast. And so, you know, I was looking at some of the things that you're doing and I'm just kind of going, man, this guy is just, he's, he's smart. He's busy. (laughs) He's, he must be, he must have uh, some sort of magical way that you're using your time. Cause I look at this, you go, you're a, you're a lead on, you know, some projects here with, with the health services, with Alberta, you're a pharmacist, you're a husband, a father, and you're a real estate investor. So you've got a, your hand in a lot of different pots. So I've kind of introduced you as I would, but Kanal, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners who maybe don't know who you are yet? And I uh, would love to get to know you. Sure. So I'm a pharmacist and currently, um, I work with Alberta Health Services uh, in, uh, in Edmonton, and I'm working on a project where we're rolling out a computer system across the province, which is going to have a massive impact on healthcare delivery in Alberta. So uh, it's a quite passionate project. So that's where I spend my kind of, you know, my nine to five, Monday to Friday. And uh, also, as you, as you mentioned, like I have uh, two daughters, five-year-olds and a five months old and um, life's beautiful. What I do in real estate is I focus on helping others achieve uh, financial freedom through real estate. And um, I invest in legally suited properties in Edmonton and um, I've been doing it for a good five years and really, really happy about what I've been able to achieve with real estate. And I continue to do so with, uh, you know, adding more and more properties to my portfolio. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And there's a lot that uh, you've you've done here in terms of setting up some masterminds within the, the Edmonton community, getting to know more people in your market. And then like off the top, you were talking about starting to network with other investors in different areas. But that's all now. Maybe let's start back at the beginning, build a little bit of a foundation here for your story and what really inspired you to get started in real estate investing about five years ago, as you had mentioned. For sure. That's a very, very interesting story. And I feel like uh, I would love to, I would love to share it. So uh, essentially it all started with uh, us having our first kid, which was in 2015. Um, You know, just even getting prepared, getting ready for the kid's arrival we as 
brand new parents, me and my wife, we're just so excited about, you know, having our daughter that we go and spend absolutely everything we we can to, you know, get ready in preparation, right? And uh, lots of people say, you you know, having a kid uh, or you could have a kid or you could go buy a Lamborghini, right? That's how much <laughs> money you actually spend <laughs> on, uh, on, on your kids. So, you know, I could already see that happening. And I soon realized that this saving that we had built up was built up over a bunch of years. So what kicked, what made me realize what, what was like, you know, um, a fork in the road for me was that, okay, you know, all the savings are gone. Now what? And my wife is going to be going on maternity. So our income is actually going down. So, okay, how is it going to work, right? How are we going to, you know, live the life we want to continue living um, now education for the kid, so on and so forth. So, you know, that's where the need started arising. And I started looking into a bunch of things and educating myself. I'm a big education nerd. Um, even after my pharmacy, I did a master's in health informatics because, you know, right from the get-go, I guess maybe it's my East Indian background or, or our parents kind of honing it in me that you got to, you know, spend the time and effort into educating yourself as much as possible. So I started educating, reading some books and whatnot. And everything I read has something to do with real estate. I'm like, oh, that's great. But my misconception was how the heck can I start get started in real estate without having a whole whole lot of money, whole lot of, you know, cash reserve to get started and, you know, use that money to go buy a property. Anyways, then I start looking into um, some meetups in the city, some networking opportunities, some ways to learn more about real estate. And soon enough, I become what I call myself um, is a seminar junkie. I start showing up to every single event in the city and also going to the back of the room and giving them my card to sign up for the next course and the next course and the next course. So I kept on doing it and you know, a lot of things were happening in that process. Um, I'm going to get vulnerable for a second. I mean, you know, it did have an impact in our family life just because I took on a bunch of debt. So I spent the money that I didn't have, but I started believing in real estate so much that I felt like this is the way to go about it, to work with the experts and just I'll be able to do something because I'm seeing the dream is possible. And, um, you know, then I, as a part of all of this, what I realized was that I have to actually grow my mindset more in terms of being open to partnerships. And what really did the trick for me was that partnerships. When I opened myself to partnerships and kind of working with some other experts in the local market, I was able to do my first fix and flip. And, you know, that was uh, the first project was in 2016. And then, you know, I've done over, over 20 deals since where we've bought the house, renovated the house, either sold it or kept it as a long-term rental property. Mm -hmm. I want to push pause on just a couple of things that you've said here that I really wanted to highlight. And the first one there is the, uh, the seminar junkie. I, I love this term and i I can relate to that. <laughs> um, but the question I wanted to ask is how long and perhaps how many different programs or education opportunities or workshops did you go to before you actually took the leap and started buying real estate? Lots. I would say a bunch of the free ones. I think anything that was free, I was showing up there for sure. And um, then gradually I realized, uh, you know, the free ones are mostly a bit of a pitch. And I do have to actually take out my credit card and pay for it. And even when you do pay for it, you have to go to the next level. But I think what was working against me was my employee mindset. So I had to grow and get out of that employee mindset and be okay to kind of sharing a bit of the profit from whatever I get into. That's where my kind of roadblock was. Like I was just not able to get past it. 
I was like, I want to do it all by myself. I didn't know how, but I was not willing to share anything from any from the money I make because I knew I figured that the only way to get some quick money would be to do a fish and flip. That's what I learned through, you know, going to all these different events. Um, going back to your question about how many, I would say a lot, but my mindset, my, my big roadblock was in the way. And until I got that big roadblock out, I couldn't actually invest in a property and do a project. Mm-hmm. Can you recall perhaps the, the moment or the event, perhaps book read or the time when you said, you know, enough's enough, I got to change the way I think about this. And, and that turning point at which you clicked over to not necessarily the employee mindset anymore, but the business owner slash investor mindset. Do you recall when that happened? I would say essentially it's just, uh, you know, pain and desperation is what got me there. Right. Uh, being completely honest, right. I'm just, spending, 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 I'm in that, you know, I've dug a hole for myself. I don't know how to get out. But what I did realize is I need to get out there and just talk to people who are doing this. And when I started doing that, and now not just going to the room and going to the back of the room to sign up for the next course or whatever it is, I'm actually going and talking to people. I'm actually going there and building relationships. I'm a natural introvert, so it's hard for me to get out there and talk to people. But I, you know, knowing what I know now, I almost call it like a suit I put on, right? So I put on that suit and now I'm able to be open and, you know, share what I'm doing and kind of learn from other people and so on and so forth. So just basically initiate that conversation. So when I started doing that, that's what it is for me. And, um, you know, even the first person that I partnered with, I had to approach them three times because they had a ton of experience. I didn't have any. And, you know, really there was nothing in it. Well, there was something in it for them because they didn't have to do as much of the work on that specific project. But essentially it took me three attempts to convince the same person to partner with me. The first two times it was a hard no. Nope, that doesn't work for me. I was like, okay, this is the next deal. Let's see if there's an opportunity on this one. Nope, I don't think it works for me. Okay, I'm going to try again. Let's see what happens. And uh, then, yeah, they finally partnered with me and uh, they were able to buy the house and I was able to go to my credit card again or credit cards, I should say, again and borrow the money to renovate the house. And uh, that's how we did our first flip. And everything else was, you know, like rolled. It's just snowballed from there because now I had the experience to run contractors, run a big renovation project, which was over a $100,000 project that I ran, which, which was my first project too. And just being, just coming out successful, selling that flip, making some money was what got the ball rolling for me. Wow. There's, I'm, I'm writing down notes furiously. furiously because there's so much I wanted to add on to this. Um, but I also <laughs> I also just want to have you keep talking. This is a tough spot to be in as a, as a host. But I, I, I am going to go with my gut here and say a few things on the education piece, because this is so, so, so important. Um, it's really easy, and, and I, I want to position this as, like, I, I'm not saying that anything you did was wrong because a lot of people do this, myself included. Um, you go to all the free events, you go to the seminars, then you maybe go to, you know, a lot of these things are shaped that way where by there's a free event, it's a lot more of a sales pitch. You learn a little bit and then you go on, you go to a workshop. And I've been to a number of these workshops, as, as have you. And there is value to be had in them. There, there's a lot. I mean, if I hadn't gone to any of them, and I don't think if, if you hadn't gone to any of them, you'd be sitting where you are today. Um, but to be fair, at the same token, uh, like you had mentioned there, if something doesn't shift in the way you're approaching it, you're always going to have that wall up that prevents you from getting to the next level. In addition to that, is there's that exceptional level of resiliency, which you were talking about. I mean, you approach the same guy multiple times. And finally, on the third time, they said, okay, fine, let's go do this. And so there's resiliency once you get past the wall and that once you do, 
as you would also mention, is that that is what started the snowball. That was the first one. You're like, oh, wow, I can do this. I made a good profit. Okay, now I have a result in my back pocket. I can go take that to go do the next deal. Find the next person. Be that much more excited so that you can go into the room, your normal introvert self. And like you said, put on the suit, you know, become super canal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and go get the deals done and build the relationships. And I right, just think that's right, right. so, so cool. I wanted to uh, shine a light on that. It's really impressive. So. Very good work. And everybody has a everybody has a different roadblock, different wall. I mean, you know, it's you know, everybody is different. And until you figure that out, you're not gonna be able to take the leap of faith and, and take action. Because, you know, all that knowledge I was acquiring was potential power. I actually could make it power when I take some action. Mm-hmm. So you know, action is, is so important. Even if it's the smallest action, just go take action. Even if it's the wrong action, I don't care. You're going to learn from it. You're going to do something different next time around and you're going to grow and grow and grow. And that's the whole point is to grow. Mm-hmm. And so what was really pushing this was that uh, desperation, that that need to really want to provide a great quality of life for for your family, for your newborn and and somehow find a way to do that. That's what really was driving you past your boundaries of your comfort zone. Would that be fair to say? That would be completely fair to say. It was just like, you know, I felt like I'm, I'm, I've backed myself into a corner with all this debt and the, you know, I can, I can make the interest payment, but that's it. I have no way to get out of this debt, but to actually take action. And I was like, I was determined. So, you know, my determination also played a big role into this, where I was determined, you know what, I screwed this up. I took aggressive action to go through um, all this education and I now better implement it. If I've spent the money on learning all this about real estate, I better make the money in real estate to pay this thing back. So yes, uh, you know, definitely the desperation or, you know, backing myself into the corner and seeing no other way to get this debt paid off. Ooh, I, I like that, man. You're giving me uh, chills in the spine here. I like this. I want to, I want to talk about, uh, you're familiar with, uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I am. Yeah. there's a, there's a video of his that, um, I want to push people towards that kind of talks about this. Uh, it's him speaking in front of the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Lakers from a few years ago. And he talks about having his back up against the wall, you know, constantly getting into that mindset of having your back against the wall so that the only thing you can do is go forward. And it's interesting to note that, you know, you were taking such aggressive action to get educated on the things that you wanted to learn about that you eventually got to a point <laughs> where out of necessity, you had your back against the wall and the only way you could go for the only place you could go was forward. And some, like the, some people might look at that and say, well, why would you get back yourself up into that corner in the first place? You know, it's, it's like, well, why not just play it safe? Why not just do things conservatively and, you know, slowly and methodically and, I say, okay, yeah, maybe that works for some people, but I'd say for the majority of people, it doesn't. You've got to create that driving force behind you. And if it's a mistake that creates it, in a lot of ways, it's even better. Because now you're like, right. oh, no, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm making this better. And you start taking action. You start moving forward. And what's cool about this is, and I'm sure you can attest to it today, is that if you hadn't gone through that, you probably wouldn't have taken that first deal and snowballed it into everything that you've done now. And you could look back on that and be like, yeah, yeah, I made that happen. I agree. I agree with you 100%. I think that was the best thing that could happen to me in my life. I have so many learnings from it. I, you know, probably think about or remember that on a, not a daily, but at least a weekly basis, that time that I went through. It has given me life's worth of learning. And I feel like if I wouldn't have gone through this, I wouldn't be where I am. And one thing I would like to say is like, there's no excitement in doing it slow. You can't, right? I mean, you totally, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But uh, are like lots of, I hear lots of people say this who are 
even more established investors than I am. And they say that, uh, first of all, you can't steal in slow motion. Okay? <laughs> and then, you know, if you want to, uh, your time in the market, you know, is the biggest factor in how well you do in real estate. So, are you know depending on where you are where where a person is in their life it's the time in the market to when you get your first deal to when you start exiting right i mean whether you're selling or just kind of hanging tight or you know giving it away to your kids whatever that exit looks like for you that time in the market is going to determine how well you do how wealthy you are so you know and that part you have to look at ways to grow faster and faster with, you know, all the education, you know, definitely risk mitigation is important. Not that just go crazy and buy, you know, five houses on, in a, in a bad neighborhood, which you know is not going to work out well for you. Don't do that. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is you have to find, you know, with risk mitigation, you have to find a way to grow faster and faster and faster because it's the time in market, time in the market that you're in is what's going to determine how well you do in real estate in general. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So take me through this after that first flip. You've got the confidence. You've kind of uh, moved forward with that particular investor. And uh, the resiliency has paid off for that first deal. And now the snowball is starting to, to form. And you're getting excited about moving it forward. Because you've obviously done a number of deals since then. Uh, you're You're... I would say more well known in the real estate community now as an investor and uh, and for what you're doing in Edmonton. So tell me about what happened after those first deals and then how things have grown since then in the coming years. For sure. So essentially after that, uh, once the first deal was uh, first slip was sold and whatnot, um, right away I you know I got information that we had offered on a place and that um, is firmed up, meaning like they have accepted our offer. It was a court ordered sale. So it was a foreclosure that uh, the offer has been accepted by the court. I'm like, oh, my first slip is not even quite sold. Maybe, yeah, it was close to being sold. We didn't uh, have it pending and whatnot. And there, there we go. I'm like, okay, I don't have my money out for my first one. Okay, let's find a way to quickly wholesale it. So I was able to wholesale the next deal. And then um, the, once that wholesale was done, the first one was sold, I found uh, my next flip and I got into that flip and, uh, you know, put, put the work in and sold that one and so on and so forth. So um, did lots, uh, lots of, lots of flips um, all the way from 2016 till about mid or so of 2018. And by that time, obviously, I paid off all the debt that I, that I had from the real estate education. I uh, built a bit of a nest egg to now start into uh, start getting into some other stuff. Um, but also, I think I realized that you know, fix and flip is a bit of a you know, if you if you've read the Robert Kiyosaki four quadrants, he talks about right. So I was coming out of the employee mindset, now getting into this uh, fix and flip business, which is actually in the self, um, self-employed self category. So now I'm actually doing a lot of the work, I'm, you know, running material and, you know, managing these projects, but I'm in that self-employed category. So it's like, it's like a job that I've, you know, that I'm still doing, I'm still doing a lot of the work. So I was ready to do something else, meaning, um, build some wealth where I don't have to be involved, which is more passive. So that's when I start uh, looking into buying holds. And I think even buying holds came out of the fact that I did a flip where I added the legal basement suite to a property. And I go to one of the networking events and talk to a couple of people about it. And just by talking to a couple of people about it, um, I uh, talked in my discussions, I talked to two realtors and they were like, yeah, don't even worry about listing this thing. This thing is going to fly off the shelf really quick. You have a good product. You have, uh, you're looking for a good price. Just hang tight for a bit. And next thing I know, within a week, I have two offers in the same place. And I, I've done enough flips by this time and I have not seen something move that quickly. And this was a house, a bungalow, three up, two down, kind of uh, with legal basement suite. And I'm like, 
oh, I'm onto something here. If some, if if a product of mine is getting so much interest, there's got to be something. So then I start learning about you know legally suited properties and you know why are they so hot? Why do they make so much sense? And then I'm like, oh, all my renovation experience could be you know redirected into building long-term rental properties. And that's when I transitioned over to becoming a long-term buy-and-hold investor. And that's all I do now. So since 2018 um, till, uh, you know, now we're kind of mid-2020, uh, it's all been about buy-and-hold for me. Gotcha. And um, yeah, majority of my properties are uh, suited houses uh, or suited duplexes where I have bought both sides of the duplex, added the basement suites, and kept them as long-term rental properties. Mm -hmm. And with these properties, Canal, do you have partners on all of them? Is that still your main strategy, that you like to have joint venture partners to do the deals with? Or do you do some of these deals yourself from the income that you generated as a flipper? That's an outstanding question. I love that because I joint venture partnerships are so close to my heart just because that's how I got started in real estate. And I strongly feel that joint venture partnerships are a way to grow faster for both parties. So going back to your question about joint ventures, uh, yes, definitely on the back end. So once the renovation is complete, and the house is fully rented and so on and so forth, that's when I bring in a joint venture partner into the deal um i don't have too too many because i'm uh, i'm still a bit of a how should i say it i'm a relationship person but i want to work with someone who is the right fit so i don't have too many partnerships on the go but i do realize that's the only way to keep growing so um i do bring in the partner on the back end, because I think it gets too convoluted if you bring a partner in on the front end. And I mean, you're trying to um, renovate because there's too much uncertainty. And I always, um, I'm more careful about someone else's money than I'm about even my own money. I don't ever want their money to go into something where there's uncertainty. So I like to really lock it in when it comes to uh, bringing a joint venture partner in. I want to look at only what are the factors that we can control in this equation, right? And I feel like once the house is renovated, once the appraisal has come in and we know this is the value and so on and so forth, that's when I bring in the joint venture partner. So there's no uncertainty to the equation. Now we can go to the bank and get a mortgage, fixed rate, variable rate, whatever, but we have this thing fixed. We have a lot of the factors in the equation we can control um, for the next five years. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned a couple of points here that I'd like to highlight about joint ventures and how we were talking about this. I was just doing a webinar last night with Gary, who's also part of the the revenue team. And we were talking about, it was, it was the first part of uh, a raising capital section that we we're going to be talking about. And you know, we came across one of the slides that we put together about who should I raise money from or who should I partner with? And the the rookie mistake, as it were, is to partner with anybody who's willing to say yes. Whoever has the money, they could be sitting there with a with a million dollars and they're gung-ho and ready to go. But does that make them the best person to do business with? Because especially out of the beginning, and you can recall back when, you know, you're getting started in real estate, like you just want to get the deal done. Let's get, you know, let's get some doors. Let's do a flip. Like I've been there. I, I know exactly what that's like. And so do you. And you know, don't make the same mistake of just because you want to get a deal done, partnering with the wrong person, because that is just a surefire way to invite so much trouble into your life, into your business. It's just unneeded stress. And so I wanted to to bring that up and just, you know, shed some full light on it. And that, you know, you, like you said, you only have a few partnerships, but that's by design because you want to work with the people that are really aligned with what you're doing. And so as you continue to bring people in, they've got to fit in with what you do and you've got to fit in with what they do. And that's just so, so, so important. And the other thing you said here 
was that you're more careful with other people's money than you are with your own. And I think that's something that we can all adopt. Anybody who wants to be a working partner or somebody who's, you know, bringing other money into a deal, we all know we are going to be more comfortable to take larger risks with our own money. But when it comes to somebody else, you got to put yourself in their shoes and, you know, just make things more conservative, more certain, as you had mentioned, so that they can feel the confidence and, and comfortable you know, feeling that they need to um, invest with you. Right. Yeah. One big thing for me is uh, it's, it's, it's a marriage, right? I mean, uh, a joint venture partnership, especially on a buy and hold, it's a long-term relationship. I mean, every, every relationship to me is a long-term relationship. That's how I look at every relationship because I, I feel like you can do a lot of things if you are open to building long-term relationships with people and you continue to nurture them. Um, anyways, I digress, but, uh, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that these joint venture partnerships, you've got to be careful that it's a marriage. So, you know, spend enough time up front. I spend a lot of time before I agree to partner with someone, you know, phone calls, zoom calls right now, or it is in-person coffee meetings, whatever's possible, giving the demographic, giving, giving, you know, where they are and so on and so forth. But uh, very, very cautious that I don't want someone to commit and and do a deal, and then three months later they're losing sleep over it. That puts me and them in a very difficult situation. How do I get out of the deal in three months or six months or whatever that is? So let's spend the time up front. Let's get to know each other in all sorts of different ways and you know, see, okay, are we a good fit? And I, you know, don't share that with a lot of people, but I almost have a bit of a joint venture partner, like ideal joint venture partner, like characteristics listed out in, uh, you know, it's just with me, nobody gets to see it, right? But uh, that's where I identify, you know, this is who who my ideal joint venture partner is, just so I know what I'm looking for. Who, who is it that I'm looking to partner with, right? So everybody needs who's, who's, who's a working partner or a money partner. I, I don't think it matters. It's still a partnership. You have to figure out what those characteristics are and which ones of those characteristics are you willing to budge on. So, you know, if let's say there's 10 on your list and you're okay with 8 out of 10 or 6 out of 10, whatever your criteria is, you need to have that defined before you start having those conversations because um, it's a long-term relationship. It's almost like, you know, you date before you get married and, uh, you know, you have to really look at uh, doing one deal and then see how that goes, how the experience was and so on and so forth, and then look at doing more. And me personally, I look for and want to work with people who are open to doing more because then nobody wants a hundred partners, right? So you, I, I also want a less number of partners who are able to do more, who are open to doing more. I don't think it's, you know, um, it's okay to say that I, I can only work with you if you have X amount of dollars or, you know, this is how much room you have for mortgages and whatnot. What I'm trying to say is that you're open to it, right? So when the opportunity comes, when you know um, you come across some more capital, or you know you have a conversation with somebody in your family, and so on and so forth, you're open to having those conversations. So I'm definitely you know uh, more attracted to those folks than I am to folks who are um, more like, yeah, we're probably just gonna do one, and that's it. We're not gonna do more than that. Mm-hmm. I really like that having a checklist or a, a set criteria of what you're looking for in a partner and to really be seeing the long-term vision with them. That puts you in a much more um, safe and secure position to not make emotional decisions about whether or not you know you just want to pull the trigger on a deal. I think that really starts to slow the process. So that's a, that's a good point. Thank you for sharing that. It kind of ties in with another question that I wanted to ask here about mitigating risk in terms of, you know, financially for deals and in terms of your lifestyle when it comes to making these real estate investing decisions. How do you go about mitigating risk in your portfolio and your life in relation to real estate? 
Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I would say in terms of mitigating risk, um, when, it, when it comes to buy and hold, I look at deals that are, you know, there's three ways we make money in a buy and hold investment. Number one is mortgage pay down. Number two is our cash flow. And number three is appreciation. And I almost leave appreciation out of the equation and focus on just the two, which is pay down and cash flow. By focusing on that and now evaluating the deal, I feel pretty confident that my estimation for where our you know numbers would be in terms of how much money we would make in five years and so on and so forth, I'm pretty darn confident because as long as we have we keep paying the rent, oh, sorry, keep paying the mortgage and our tenants keep paying the rent, we are fine and we will hit that target, no problem. And then if appreciation happens, it, it's great. It's fantastic, right? Um, so uh, my way of mitigating that risk is just to look at those two and leave appreciation out of the equation. As it is, I'm in a market which is, um, which is slow and boring. Um, I invest in Edmonton, so it's slow and boring, I call it. And um, we do get impacted by oil prices. So there is a little bit of boom and bust, but we are guarded by all the public sector jobs that we have in Edmonton. So um, certainly, you know, there's not as much of that, you know, uh, wave kind of boom and bust in, in, in real estate prices. We do see that often, but um, it's not too, too much. So I leave the appreciation out of the equation and only focus on the two to make sure that this investment works well for me and my partners. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I, I like that there. And when you, you know, you talked about um, for, for now, you just do the, the legally suited basements as your investment properties. Are there any particular strategies outside of the buying, the renovating, the refinancing with a new partner on title that you do employ? Because as we both know, to go to a number of these uh, workshops and seminars and things like that, there are a lot of different real estate investing strategies that you could use. Are you involved in any anything else other than that uh, one that you currently, I would say, are expert in? Essentially, I have learned that it takes so long to do a renovation. And again, all of for, for me, most of the stuff has come from experience where I've done enough of these. I'm like, oh, okay, that didn't work out. Meaning there's uncertainty in that equation, right? That the Burr method, essentially. So you buy it, renovate it, refinance it, and rent it. The uncertainty is your, uh, your renovation and your refinance value. And you don't know what could go, so renovation could go higher than what you were projecting and your refinance could come in lower than what you were projecting, right? So, and also it takes time. It takes about six months to, you know, four to six months to get around like a basement suite done and so on and so forth because there's city permitting involved and, you know, there's a bunch of things you need to do uh, to the house or to the duplex. So, the other strategy that I've been deploying quite a bit is just buying turnkey with either, you know, um, from a builder or a product that somebody, somebody else renovated kind of thing has a basement suite already. Uh, because I strongly feel that you can't, again, going back to my earlier point about time in the market, right? So while I'm working on a renovation project, you know, why not go keep, keep looking for good deals out there? And um, deals are oftentimes not, you know, they don't show up on the market as deals. You almost have to create those deals and uh, really hunt for them. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in off-market deals, whether it's off-market from a builder who's uh, somewhat getting motivated to let go of a product, or it is um, an off-market deal from a seller who's just like, I've had enough. I need to let go of this. This property meets my criteria. And I'm like, go, let's do it. So um, going back to your question, my uh, other primary strategy is just buying turnkey, buy and hold uh, investment properties that have a basement suite already, whether it's the house or a duplex with a basement suite. I haven't done too much of it, but that's also something that I'm um, kind of focusing on right now. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, no, I bring it up because 
there are, especially for people who are starting out in real estate investing or even, you know, veterans can get sidetracked by so many different possibilities. It can be very exciting to think about the prospect of wholesaling or the idea of becoming a flipper or the idea of being a multifamily investor. Right. There's lots of different places or, you know, even within private lending, there's a lot of different things you can do. And what I like about the, some of the things that you're highlighting here is that especially if you're starting out and you're getting that like, whoa, there's so much here going on. I got to take this course and this course and this course. Just slow down. Try one. Get good at it. See how it goes. Just like with a joint venture partner, you know, let's do one deal. See what the experience is like. See if we liked it and if it fits our lifestyle and then move on. Then keep going forward if it worked. If not, course correct, find something that it does and then push that thing forward instead. Um, I wanted to ask you, Kanal, here because you are you have a full-time job and so there's probably, like maybe myself as well, I just want to know, how do you balance the time being a real estate investor and growing your portfolio with also having a full-time job and running a family. There's a lot of things going on here. How do you make time for each of them so that you can be successful and good at all of them, really? Essentially, it comes down to managing focus, and it actually ties into what you were talking earlier about multiple strategies in real estate. And I think it's focus. It's, it's managing your focus. Early on, I used to say it's time management, but no, 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 it's not time management. It's actually focus management. So um, even with real estate, just like everybody else, I got excited about, you know, a bunch of different, you know, opportunities or multifamily. Oh, you know, this, uh, let's say wholesaling. Oh, wow, this is exciting. Let's go invest into like commercial deals and learn more about that. But then I figured that, you know, I recently read a quote that um, I can't remember which boxer, but uh, essentially I'm not afraid of, um, a, a, bo a boxer opponent who is going to try 10,000 different kinds of kicks. I'm more afraid of the person who's tried the same kind of kick 10,000 times, right? So that, that niche that, you know, going deep into a strategy, becoming an expert has, has a lot of benefits. So in terms of managing my focus, I'm a, obviously have, like our brains kind of trick us and we feel that if we get you know have more things going on at the same time almost like multitasking we're doing better but that's so wrong in my opinion so i believe in focus management and i have um every monday i, I call it the hour of power and that's when i get to plan my week and in that, what goes is, you know, my daughter's classes, my, you know, even like on Friday afternoons, because I, I do have the option of working from home. Um, even pre-COVID, I was working from home at least uh, a day or two in a week. So on Fridays, I like to, you know, uh, make it a point for me and my wife to go on a lunch date kind of thing. So that goes on that uh, on and during that hour of power when I'm planning my week. but Every single activity, whether it's looking at a house, whether it's meeting someone for coffee, whether it is, you know, a Zoom call as complete focus, dedicated time. So I'm able to accomplish more just because I don't have any distractions. I often use the feature on the phone, do not disturb so that I cannot be distracted by anything, right? If it's, if I'm spending time with my kids, I'm not touching anything like my phone is far away from me like you know it doesn't show up to my dinner table and things like that so it's, it's that focus management which helps us do more in my opinion than you would ever do with anything else simply because of the fact that you have you know you spend you say you tell yourself you have this much time and you need to get that done right like that smallest amount of outcome and I find that I also, as a part of that hour of power when I'm planning the week, I also tie a bit of an emotion to every single thing that I'm doing, even the smallest thing. Um, meaning, you know, to give you an example, okay, I want 
to take my daughter in for a soccer class. But I also want to get up earlier on Sundays and not sleep in. Okay, let's find a class that's on a Sunday morning that's going to get me out of bed. So now I'm achieving two outcomes, but, and also spending time with my daughter. Like it's just, you know, um, tying a few things together. So I'm kind of achieving, achieving more than one and also um, feeling good about it. That's great, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking this idea of, of focus management. It's something that certainly comes up for my own self. And, you know, you're talking about some of these things like the, the do not disturb on the phone. I was, you know, it was probably about a few weeks ago. I was just getting so sick and tired of having the text notification and the WhatsApp notification and the Facebook notification and, and, and the email notification. I was like, this is all off now. I don't want to hear any of this. The only thing that's going to happen is me when I actually go into the phone. I don't want to be distracted if I'm in something like this. So, you know, now it's, it's so much better because I'm in control of that. It's just so funny to think that that's something that we have to control now, but, you know, it really is. Um, it kind of ties in with one of these, uh, you know, as we starting to get close to the end of the show here is talking about what real estate investing is actually allowing you to do now, you know, in terms of your, your financial life, your lifestyle, how you enjoy your work, your time with your family. As you mentioned there, it seems like things are very focused as a result of what you've been able to do in real estate. So how has investing in real estate really been a positive benefit in your life? Oh my God, this has been amazing because like, I don't have to worry about my kid's education. I have set aside a property that I would have all the money I need to take care of my kid's education. You know, no matter what kind of education they want to go through, whether it's formal or informal, and I say formal or informal because they might choose to not go to regular school and want to invest into, you know, some entrepreneur kind of education. I, in fact, would encourage them to do so. And if that's the case, I have all the resources available to support them in that journey. So that's a huge, huge load off me. I don't have to think at all. And now what I'm focusing on is building my retirement. And um, all my eggs are in the real estate basket, and I love it. And I feel like it's, it's going to happen. It's almost, um, I see a lot of uh, friends around us, you know, uh, spend money on cars and houses. We live an average lifestyle to support our future lifestyle. And right now it's average, but the future is going to be outstanding when we don't have to worry about, you know, uh, how much we're spending in a month come retirement or, you know, when our kids need X amount of dollars to go through their education, we were like, yeah. Sure, no problem, right? So um, that's been like the absolute biggest positive that has come out of real estate is having that security um, in our in our minds about the future. Absolutely, and for the people who are looking to start investing in real estate, or maybe just starting off a journey, they may have already got maybe one or two properties, and they want to start scaling it up and really taking care of some of the things that you talked about. Um, in terms of, you know, education for kids or, you know, the, the dream life that they want or a secure retirement. Is there anything outside of that would, that you would say are some of the reasons why people should start investing in real estate? I think everybody has their own why. For me, the why is being there as the best dad possible to support my kids through their entrepreneurial journeys. That's more important to me than anything else, having the time and the resources to be able to support them through their journeys. Uh, because I think that kind of education or that kind of coach is not available in, in like the formal education or schools. And I mean, you know, that stuff is not taught anywhere. So that's my duty to, you know, support my kids through that. Um, what are some other reasons that folks, um, should look at getting into real estate. It's, I would say security and, um, you know, what other investment vehicle out there gives you this kind of security. You have a hard assets you're investing in. And uh, I often like to compare stocks and real estate. 
And um, I have a graphic that I actually put together and I, you know, X amount of dollars in real estate and X amount of dollars in stock, your ROI, like return on investment is better in a good market or in a bad market because of the leverage we get to a real estate. Where, which other investment vehicle is out there where you can spend only 20 to 25% of your money and get the 75, 80% financed by a bank. Why the heck do banks finance this? They finance real estate because they believe in it too. It's a hard asset. Nobody can run away with it, right? So, so many positives about investing in real estate. Um, I know it's not for everybody, but then look at partnerships. You know, if, if you are not um, a person who believes in, or, or feels good about managing tenants and kind of, you know, going through all the headaches that, that come with real estate investing. Look at partnerships. Find the right person you can collaborate with to invest in real estate. I mean, you know, I could go on and on about the positives of real estate because all my eggs are in that basket. You know, lots of people ask me, okay, what's, what does your um, RSPs look like? I'm like, I don't contribute to RSPs. All my investments are in real estate. That's where my retirement fund is. That's what I'm going to rely on because I can control all of it. I, I get to, you know, do what I do with it. I do have some RSPs, actually. I, I you know, take my words back. I do have some RSPs that I'm going to invest. I, do, I would be doing some lending in real estate. So again, I'm bringing even that into real estate in one way or another because I believe in real estate. Mm-hmm. Those are very, very good points. I like everything that you said there. I don't think I need to add anything. <laughs> <laughs> Kanal, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm so grateful that you've been able to take the time to to come on our show here, share your story, share your thoughts, your wisdom. I think a lot of people are going to really benefit from the things you're saying. And, and not only that, but the way that you're saying it. I, I can tell by you know who you are, how you come across that Everything you're talking about here is really genuine and very real because you've been through some of those tough times. You've, you've had your back against the wall and you've really pushed through with the right intentions and uh, desires. So uh, thank you for that. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, as a last question here, just for you, if you could offer you know, three first steps for any person who's interested in getting started in real estate investing, what would you recommend they do? Uh I would say start with education. I'm a big education nerd, like whether that education comes from meetups or it comes from, you know, courses, definitely get yourself educated to figure, to figure out which strategy, what makes the most sense for you. So that would be the first step. Get out there, you know, learn, right? Start with that education. Um, and then the second step would be networking and building partnerships. That for me has done wonders in my in my investing journey is is networking, but not just networking meaning showing up to these events. Talk to people, tell them what you're looking to do, and hear from them what they are doing. Right, so that two way communication as opposed to just going to uh, events and kind of listening to the speaker talk and that's it, because. I meet a lot of people who have that abundance mindset, including me. I love to share. I love to talk and I love to share what I've been through and what I do. And I am, you know, I would say that all the time. I'm an open book. Reach out. Reach out to people like that and say, I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking to do. Is there anything you can guide me on? What is it that you can support me on? If you like them, you might even partner with them, right? So that would be uh, step number two. And the step number three would be just take action. Even if you screw up, it's okay to screw up. Everybody makes mistakes, right? So I've made lots of mistakes in my investing journey all the time. And uh, we all do. But make sure you learn from it and don't repeat it. Even after all the education I went through, I made different mistakes that that nobody talked about at those events. But you have to make those mistakes and you make those mistakes by taking action so those would be my top three and uh, I also want to say that I am truly truly honored to be here I thank you so so much for having me it's a pleasure it's an honor to be able to share my story and uh, um, one important message I want to give out to the audience here is if I can do it 
anybody can do it. It's a, it's a, I'm an average Joe and uh, anybody can get into real estate investing. It's not all about having access to, you know, a big pile of money. Amazing. Well, uh, Kanala, because you mentioned it there, um, you know, if people do want to connect with you, they want to find out more about what you're doing, how you invest, um, where you invest, maybe if they just want to have a, a quick chat, hop on a Zoom call or a phone call, um, how can people reach out to you? Where can they find you? Essentially, Facebook is the platform I'm most active on. You know, if you don't have my phone number, email, definitely reach out to me on Facebook. I do check it on a daily basis and probably more than daily basis right now with all the time in my hands uh, because of COVID. Uh, so certainly Facebook is, uh, you know, fastest and the easiest way to get a hold of me and uh, would be happy to help you, support you in any way I can. And, um, you know, all the... All the best wishes to you for your investing journey. Awesome. Kanal Mahindra here on the Revenue with Real Estate podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kanal. We really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much, uh, Doug. This has been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Revenue with Real Estate podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Just a couple of more things before you take off. If you want to learn more about Revenue, you can check us out at Revenue.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. On YouTube at Revenue with Real Estate, Facebook Revenue with Real Estate, or on Instagram at Revenue Canada. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or anything that you want to share with us here at the show, please send us an email to info at revenue.com. Revenue with Real Estate, helping you understand the real risks and rewards of profitable real estate investing so that you can lead a life that you love. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to welcoming you to the Revenue with Real Estate community.